that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. I'm Nathan Baird, along with Stephen Means from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice turned in an excused absence today, so it's just the two of us. We are going to be talking both the future and the present of Ohio State football. We're going to start off with the future. We're going to get to the present a little bit later. Stephen and I are going to discuss what we're going to be looking at on the first day of preseason camp when we are supposed to have a viewing meet, uh, window Thursday morning when Ohio State opens things. Uh, Wednesday's report day. Thursday, first practice, as far as what we've been told so far. But we want to talk about everything that's happened in the recruiting sphere since Wednesday. Been kind of a just a cascade of things that have come down. It started with uh, the Caleb Downs uh, commitment to Alabama that we already talked about, so we're not going to go back into that. But there have been, what, like five or six things that have happened since then or may be on the cusp of happening, Stephen, that have not done much to allay the – discontent that some fans have right now about the direction of this recruiting class. And I get it. And I think the, the, the overall stat thing that we're going to have to think about here is Ohio state's going to have to prove it on the field. And once they prove it on the field, you should see some improvement within the recruiting. And so let's start with the, the real distant future of what that might mean going forward with a guy like John take Gilbert number, uh, 2025 cornerback from Georgia who committed first and foremost, Georgia might be a place where Ohio state might, you know, plant some roots here going forward because Tim Walton is, he has some history there being from there. Uh, Perry Aliano has recruited that area before, but then also Georgia just has a bunch of top 100, top 200 recruits every single year. And the Bulldogs aren't going to take all of them. So why not, you know, plant some roots there the same way that we've seen in Florida in the past year. But I think Jonte Gilbert, first and foremost, He's probably going to be a top 150, top 200, top 100 recruit at this point because if Ohio State's already offered the national kid this early. It's only a matter of time before some of the other SEC schools get involved into that one. But what that signifies to me is, yes, things have not necessarily gone all the way well in his 2023 class with guys like Caleb Downs, uh, guys like Jonel Aguero, and guys like A.J. Harris. But also, as we've kind of discussed, especially you, Nathan, you maybe said it more than all of us, all, a lot of these defensive assistant coaches got here in January, which means that they're trying to play catch up with a lot of relationships that have already been formed, you know, recruiting guys that quite frankly, they didn't offer. They just showed up and tried to get to work as quickly as possible here. While with guys like John Tate Gilbert, guys in the 2025 class, guys in the 2024 class, those are going to be a lot of guys that they offered and that they built a relationship with from day one. And so we're really going to get to see what they look like as recruiters. So you start there with what that could mean going forward. And now granted, this is another case of Ohio State got a DB out of SEC territory very, very early. In this case, ridiculously early. Can they hold on them to signing day? But the idea of let's see what happens when some of these defensive recruits get to start from scratch with some of these recruitments and then maybe get, gauge them off of that is maybe a better way to judge what they are as, rec as recruiters. So I was texting back and forth with some people over the weekend that were asking about mm -hmm. Gilbert. And my point to them was, I know it's astonishingly early. We don't know a whole lot about him. We can kind of project a little bit by what's out there as to how good he is. There are definitely some fans out there who either because of what's happened with Ohio State the last couple of years in, in those recruitments that you're talking about, guys from the South, Florida, Georgia, who the recruitments don't stick, and especially it has happened a lot at corner, it seems like. They're, they're a little bit jaded and assume, well, why do I even care about this guy? And my point is, um, and there's actually even someone who said, like, why do you guys even report on this? And my point was, 
um, a commitment is not a one-way street. If Jonte mm-hmm. Gilbert is giving a commitment, Ohio State is also accepting a commitment. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not mm-hmm. – kids don't just get to walk up and say, like, hey, I'm committing to your school. Even if you have a scholarship offer, for it to be, like, a commitment that gets out there, it's it's a mutual decision. So mm-hmm. it says something to me that Ohio State's taking this commitment now. I, I understand why people are skeptical about it going the distance, and there's a skepticism built in. I think we have to talk about it in that context, too. Mm-hmm. We have to say, hey, anytime a player commits, unless he's from – the Columbus city schools and is, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And is like <laughs> yeah. ranked in the four hundreds or something like that. Then there's a, there's a, some chance that he's probably going to be leaving. So that definitely needs to be brought up. I, I don't want to get too far into Gilbert because again, we don't know a whole lot about him and he is so distant. I want to run down some of the other things that have happened since Wednesday, since downs committed to Alabama. So that was on Wednesday on Thursday. And again, these, None of this was really surprising. The only surprising thing that happened all week was Gilbert because nobody was looking at 2025. They only have one commitment yeah. for 2024 <laughs> right now. So uh, nobody was thinking about 2025 at this point. But on Thursday, John Walker, defensive lineman from – I'm from Lincoln, Florida. where he's from, Florida, commits to UCF. So he stays in state. That is a top 100 – like bottom of the top 100 caliber player – Guy that Ohio State, I, I, I think Ohio State still, I said this on the podcast we did last week, I think they still need help on the defensive line. Right now they have two commits, and that's Jason Moore, who is a top 50-ish commit. I think mm-hmm. there's some question whether he ends up at on the edge, whether he ends up as a three-tech, but mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of guys come to Ohio State and be successful despite being caught in that sort of tweener spot. And then Will Smith, the legacy, who's who's ranked lower in that class. On Thursday running back Richard Young commits to Alabama. That had been telegraphed for a long time. Uh, That leaves Mark Fletcher, a guy ranked number 269, as the only running back in Ohio State's current signing class as it stands. That puts, as we've talked about many times, how many podcasts have we done now talking about, specifically about what this running back class means to the Mm 2024-2025 rosters at running back? It just puts a lot of pressure on 2024, which is a class that isn't exactly loaded at the top end. I'm running through some of this because these are actually things that we've talked about a lot. On Saturday, Brock Glenn commits. That gives Ohio State the quarterback it needed for this class. Yep. He's a guy that will be recruited over. In fact, he already has been recruited over because Ohio State has the number one prospect. Is it it really recruited over when you come after the guy? (laughs) Is it just like putting him in his slot? Dylan Raiola has been recruited under with this pick. I'm not saying that doesn't potentially make him an important. I mean, he's a guy ranked in the what, like the 300s. I'm not sneezing at that. They they needed to fill this position. They wanted a specific thing. And a guy in the 300s is where you were going to find it. A guy who is understanding that his road to the field is long. And even if it might not end with him being Ohio State starting quarterback, but the two routes that he's going to have to take here is he's either Joe Burrow or he's Mac Jones. And not the success level they were, but just the fact that Joe Burrow didn't start until, what, his fourth year of college football, and it took him having to transfer after losing a quarterback battle. But the point is, his opportunity to start didn't come until year four as a college football player because he had to sit behind JT Baird. 
The same thing. And then Mac Jones, he had to wait till Tua was gone to get his opportunity. But both of those guys ended up being first round draft picks. That's the thing that they're trying to sell with this Mac Jones, Joe Burrow pitch of like, listen, even if you take the long road to the field, you can still turn yourself into a first rounder, even if you don't necessarily start for us. But come learn from us, come develop from us. And then because they still do it with Joe Burrow, they still use the developed here with him, even if he never started a game for them and played minimal snaps. But that's the sales pitch they're pitching here is. Your path is going to take longer, but that doesn't mean it still can't be successful. Also on Saturday, though, so you get the the good news coming in on Brock Glenn, and then yep. Dijon Johnson, the cornerback. Another instance of what you were talking about earlier uh, mm-hmm. when we brought up Jonte Gilbert, but uh, decommits on Saturday. He was known to have been going back down to his home state of Florida for visits. He was visiting Florida. He was supposed to visit Miami on Sunday. Did he actually end up visiting Miami on Sunday? He did not visit Miami. He just ended up at Florida. So I think we know where this is going. I want to come back to that in a second because I want to discuss, well, let's just do it right now. So you brought up the point that Ohio State, once the defensive, the new defensive staff, once this team starts doing things under the new defensive staff, that's going to help the recruiting. Mm -hmm. I think that may be zero factor for 2023 or almost zero factor for 2023. Number one, we're... Uh, to use a phrase Ryan Day said the other day, which I thought was interesting being a guy from um, the East Coast, but I guess maybe he's embracing the Midwest here a little bit. The hay's in the barn a little bit on this 2023 class. I mean, we're getting later. I know it's only the start of August, but Ohio State already has, what is it, 19 commits for this class? Yep. They're not going to get 15 more guys for this class. And there, there's already a handful of guys who we think are, are maybe slotted in. So the idea that like you're going to have a good first month of the year and that's going to draw in a bunch of top hundred players. That's clearly not what I don't think anybody is talking about on top of that. I don't even think it fully explains what's happening with this class because Tackett Curtis commits to mm-hmm. USC. There's a new staff at USC. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dijon Johnson decommits from Ohio state and is probably going to end up at Florida. There is a new staff at Florida. There's also a new staff at Miami which is one of the other schools he was looking at. And they're losing players to Alabama, but that doesn't have anything to do with – well, it does have to do with the staff in Alabama, I guess, but it's not because Ohio State staff – is. I mean, losing Caleb Downs to Alabama is because they're the best program in the country, and he's already in the South. Like, the math on that is pretty easy. Same as with Richard Young. We're not talking about defense there. But, I mean, he's staying close to – you know, he's – He's he's going to the best place. He's going to the best place for running backs. Sorry, and and then you're losing uh, losing Walker to UCF. Uh, maybe you could bring in the staff situation there, mm. but it's also a Florida kid staying home. And UCF is a decent enough program. They're going to win some of those. Eh, I don't like applying nil to every single time Ohio State loses a guy because I think that is a lazy approach. I, I, now, granted, I think Ohio State He's talking about NIL. I'm saying in general, that becomes like a thing. It's like whenever Ohio, it's become a thing, especially when we text about commitments. It's like, uh, especially when they lose guys, it's like, is a, how much of a, is NIL a factor here? And it's like, how much is NIL a factor in every single thing? I'm not going to say it's 100% the thing that happened with John Walker here, but I do. That's the one just because that's a top 100 recruit going to UCF and not going to Florida or Miami where you're like, how much is NIL a factor with that individual recruitment just because of the school that won him? Even if the even if the, the reason is I want to stay close to home. Because you could have stayed close to home and went to a power five school and not one that's not, not going to be in a power five school until next year. Well, they will be a power five school by the time he gets there. So there's that. 
And was Ohio State even like the runner up there? Was was who else was in the mix? They were the leader heading into his official visit and were the leader coming out of the official visit. And pretty much up until maybe the last week and a half, they were the leader. Yeah, I just I I man, I a world where we start like listening to Ohio State cry poor on NIL, man. Like they've yeah. got an infrastructure there. We we can't have a conversation. we can't talk all the time about how Ohio State is like the most valuable brand and the most powerful mm-hmm. brand in college football. And then, and then talk about them having like hands tied behind their back on NIL. Correct. If they do, they've done it to themselves. And I, I don't have a lot of sympathy there. I just, I know what Ryan day is saying about, you know, if this defensive staff goes out, if this team has a turnaround, I think it helps 2024, 2025 recruiting. Obviously when you go out, if, if, if JT two and Jack Sawyer and players like that start to have these like breakthroughs and, bring back some of the like national cachet to this defense it's going to help mm-hmm. with future recruiting i dismiss it as anything that's going on for for 2023 it's it i don't think they're losing guys because the staff hasn't shown anything yet i think it's maybe because of the staff turnover there were some vulnerabilities but they're losing them to players to to the programs who also had those same vulnerabilities right but you know you know what helps is Ohio State has had one good defense in the past four years. Like Alabama has turnover on both sides of the ball all the time, but it's, you know, Saban's defenses are going to be good. You know that just like if Ohio to an extent, I think if Ohio State starts having some turnover on the offensive side of the ball, I don't think it'll have the same impact with the recruiting there because, you know, Ryan Day is still there. And so, you know, the quarterback play is still going to be elite and, you know, the offensive play calling is still going to be creative and the offense is still going to be good. But because, like I said, it's been one good defense in four years, plus the staff turnover. When you combine those two aspects of it, if Ohio State's defense had kept the ball rolling, even as the staff turned over, you'd be less concerned about the fact that you want to see it from this specific staff before you sign up to be for that. Like you do see at Georgia, like you do see at Alabama when guys funnel through there each and every year. But because those coaches are defensive head coaches, you still know the de- defensive side of the ball is going to be elite every single year. You can't say the same thing about Ohio State right now. By the Ohio State standard of a good defense, how many good defenses has USC had in the last four years? I mean, it's not like USC. They have a new USC got, to be how fair, USC, Florida. US, had in the to last be four fair, years, they have a new USC, staff. Like, USC got Tackett Curtis. It's not like they got a. It's not like they were like Bama with this or like Georgia with this, where they got a multitude of different big time recruits there. I'm just talking about guy. specifically that I'm talking specifically about this idea that that US that Ohio State hasn't shown something on defense because you can say the same thing about the programs that these other guys that these guys are signing with. No, you can uh, say that I, about I one program that these guys are signing with. You can't. I mean, Caleb. No, Downs you can say no. I'm saying you can say the Ohio State thing that it's a program that hasn't been great on defense and needs to show something. You can say that about USC. You can say that about Florida. You can say that about the programs that these guys end up going to. Uh, I mean, they've so far they've lost to UCF, which um, whatever that is, is what it is. And USC everywhere. I mean, they lost a lot of guys to Bama and we know what Bama is. They're losing guys to Georgia. We know what Georgia is from a defensive standpoint. I'm talking about what I'm talking about, the things that happened this week at the same time, Ryan Day made that statement. And uh, it's just what I'm, I'm pushing back on how much it's affecting what's going on for 2023. What is going on with Ty Lockwood? who visited Alabama, tight end recruit for Ohio State. And this wasn't a secret visit. He no, or, a, or I'm sorry, an offer. offer he got an offered. offer from Alabama. Yeah. He made sure not only did he tweet it out, like he was like tagging national recruiting people in the yeah. tweet. Yeah, 
I mean, he wants it out there. Is, that he got that, he got offered by Alabama. Normal. That's also normal though. When you get an offer, you tag a bunch of the, the national reporters and stuff like that. But yes, he has an Alabama offer. That is Ohio State's first recruit commit for the 2023 class. Every time he spoke publicly, whether it's to me or anybody else, when he came up here multiple times to work with uh, Kevin Wilson for his official visit, but also came to some camps, he's pretty firm in his commitment, but also Bama is Bama. So, yeah, now you do need to watch and see, like, okay, did Bama just offer him? And so he just wanted that as part of his you know list of offers on these recruiting sites, or does he start going to Alabama? You know, does he start taking visits there this this fall? Right now, it, it it's not a worry. As big of a worry, but let's see how the next couple of months play out because we are still five, six months away from signing day. It is something to pay attention to. Now, granted, you still do have Jelani Thurman in the class as a guy who's another top 150 recruit as a tight end as well. So if you do lose Ty Lockwood, the blow is lessened because you have Thurman there, but you'd rather not lose either of those guys. So, yeah, a kid in your class got an offer from Bama last week. Let's pay attention to see how the next couple of months play out and whether or not he is in Tuscaloosa at all. Because if not, then this was nothing. If so, this becomes something. You've talked before about how, and we, we mentioned this on the pod last week, uh, Mateo Uyangalele, the mm. five-star defensive end out of uh, Bosco in California, is kind of the – he might be the guy that corrects the narrative a little bit with this class. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, how what's your read right now on him, like scale of like 1 to 10, how likely he becomes an Ohio State player, and – do they is it if they don't get him what what do you, how do you kind of assess this class because it doesn't seem like there's anybody else out there on the horizon that has that kind of impact on right now a class that has one top 100 player defensively yeah and it's not like you're flipping any of these five stars just based off where they're going right now how things are going likelihood right now headed into august i would say six and a half which i think is pretty good that's pretty solid, really. I think it's I think it's solid, especially when you see the fact that the race is between it's Ohio State, USC, and Oregon. So it's like stay close to home or come play for Larry Johnson, which was basically the same thing that JT had, which was stay home or come play for Larry Johnson, and Larry Johnson won that one. So I'll, well, but the stay home between Oregon and Larry Johnson is different than maybe the stay home between USC and Larry Johnson. Correct. It is. Especially now that you know, the USC is supposed maybe. to be, a, especially now USC is supposed to be a playoff team when it's sake like that that wasn't the case when it was up to get JT at that time. But yeah, six and a half for now, I think let's see if he gets back here. I'm, I'm willing to see that rise, but I'm also willing to see that lesson. I think this, I think I said this um, on the last time we talked about, it, which I think was the Thursday pod, but this is the long game. I don't think this is this recruitment is over for any of the three programs or anybody else who wants to get in on this. I think this is going to take some patience and see who wins out in the end. But I think right now, Ohio, I think saying six and a half is saying Ohio State is in a really good spot, especially when if you look at the national perception, I don't think there is as much, you know, pro Ohio State news whenever something comes out about um Mateo, at least from like people's opinions, not necessarily his actual actions. But I do think they're in a really good spot heading into the fall. That takes care of the rundown of what's been happening in the past week. Yep. Wanted to make sure we touched on that. There's gonna be a lot more to follow here as the rest of this class unfolds. We're gonna come back from break. We're gonna talk about what we want to see Thursday at Ohio State's first preseason practice. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. Ohio State 
has said, we'll have a viewing window Thursday morning for the first practice. Don't know how much we'll get to see. Don't know what we'll get to see. A lot of times it's not exactly uh, 11 on 11 full pads, obviously, the first day. So, But you take what you can get. You try to read the tea leaves a little bit. And I don't want to do that speculation, I guess, on those little things too much today. But I thought you and I could both say, and we will probably be splitting up the duties on Thursday and you know, we'll, we'll be paying attention. Exactly. We'll be paying attention to different things and trying to to uh, collaborate on on the picture that we see in that 20 minutes or so. So let's just run down. Let's just each pick three things that we want to see. Three kind of three things. And we haven't actually decided what we're going to watch. So this can be offense or defense. Mm. Three things you'll just kind of be hoping catch your eye or wondering if it'll catch your eye on Thursday. Why don't you start? What's first on your list? I want to see what the first two units of safety look like. The the first you know nickel banded adjuster. I want to see who the three starters are. I want to see who the three backups are. Quite frankly, I might be interested in seeing who the third stringers are too, just because that seems like it could change for between like first practice and like actual game day. But I want to see that first, and just from the sake of a depth chart standpoint, when you have this many safeties, I want to see first day of fall camp who are the starters, the second stringers, and the third stringers. I think that can tell us a lot about how things, especially when there were so many guys, like guys like Lathan Ransom were out, Court Williams was in and out of there. Josh Proctor didn't really get going until halfway through spring practice. I want to see that first and foremost. I'm going to, so I had only put, I, I had actually put down four on mine, knowing that we would overlap a little bit. And I think this one overlaps enough. Same. I'm going to go ahead and just cross it off the list and, and say that it goes on yours. But I had written down wham, bam, court and cam. Cause I want to see, what Court Williams and Cam Martinez are doing on the first day of preseason practice. And as you mentioned, especially in the case of Court Williams, there's been just lingering injury things that were also still affecting him in the spring. We heard a lot about him at the start of the spring. You know, Jim Knowles came in, got a glimpse of him, was excited. And then, as we've mentioned before, there was kind of a passing in the night. You had him kind of getting a little bit banged up and going down as Josh Proctor was getting healthy and coming up. And then that sort of changed the way they were talking as, as we got farther into the spring. And I, that didn't surprise me. I, I thought Proctor was the leader to start this fall anyway, but those are just two still young ish, but not young guy. I mean, you're going into their third years. Now you want to see some movement there. You want to see some establishment of roles. And in both of those cases, uh, you mentioned, you know, kind of seeing the two deep at safety, even the three deep at safety. But where are those guys fitting in? Is Cam Martinez, like, yes. is he a nickel safety in this defense? And is he getting to focus on that? Is Cam, uh, is Court Williams a which safety position fits him the best? I imagine it's probably Bandit more than Adjuster, but I don't know. Like, which one does he fit better and where are they are they letting him like stay there and like sink his teeth into it? Because I think versatility is important, but Doug has always been uh, very smartly brought this up that you get to a point in a guy's career where it's not enough that he can kind of do a little bit of everything because then he's not on the field doing anything. He doesn't like have a niche that he can fill. And both of these guys seem to have the underlying talent. I was talking to Ronnie Hickman or actually I wasn't there. Ronnie Hickman was talking about, Cam Martinez a little bit this past week and talking about how sort of studious he is and that he takes a lot of notes and uh, is a real like student. And that sounded like, Oh, that's like, it sounds to me like a quarterback turned defensive player. Not that defensive players can't also be studious and take good notes, but 
that that fit in with kind of the impression I would maybe have of him as a football player. And it's just a question of how early does that rise into something? I don't know that if we saw an 11 on 11, if either of those guys would be in a starting lineup, I think that would be a surprise if either of those guys were in a starting lineup on Thursday, mm-hmm. if we saw one, but I kind of want to see if we get any glimpse of even like a red zone period or just some matchup period, like it, where are those guys fitting in? Yeah. I think you kind of expounded on the idea of what I was talking about with a two deep in the sense that I, I don't, necessarily all the way care about the starters that much on day one i care about the fact of where they're starting or where they're the second guy yet like you said that you said bandit and adjuster are are interchangeable it's just like it's like mike linebacker will linebacker well i didn't say they were interchangeable no no no. i'm not saying you said that i'm saying jim Knowles said that i maybe should okay. yes jim Knowles said that nathan bear did not say that. right he did not and jim Knowles said that Maybe they'll turn out to be somewhat interchangeable. Yeah. I'm always just skeptical when people say that any two positions are interchangeable because that hardly yeah. ever works out with how they play guys there. Especially with guys who haven't done anything yet. Now, if you want to tell me that I'm going to see Ronnie Hickman at both adjuster and, and, and bandit at some point on, on when on Thursday, fine. That dude's proven himself. I know where he's actually going to be playing once it's game day. But with guy, you're right. With guys like Cam Martinez, guys like Court Williams, even Lathan Ransom, who is now finally playing as a deep safety the way he was recruited as, guys like Kai Stokes. Where are they at, first and foremost? And then we can talk about, are they going to be good at it? All right, I'm going to stay on defense with my first one. I called it uh, Jack on the attack, or or is it a full Leo? I don't know if we'll see a full Leo, because Jim Knowles, when we talked to him in the spring, made a real distinction between, well, we've got to get to where we have the Jack position and then maybe we'll find out if someone can be the Leo, which he sees as more of like a more complete defensive position i think but i want to see how they're lining up their defensive ends again we don't know thursday may be too early for us to get like an 11 on 11 look at these guys but through any of the drills we see is it apparent that they've got a guy standing up on the edge and that he's moving around and that they're really planning to build that weapon and utilize it as early as this spring or this fall i should say and i'm almost don't care who's doing it early on i want to see the commitment to it. I mean, I want to see who's doing it too, but I think we already have an idea who would be doing it. Yeah. So it's, it's more about how much are they actually utilizing it in, in practice scenarios and scrimmage scenarios and drill scenarios. And I'm it is, what is the commitment? What is the buy-in at this stage about that? Because I feel like if you get to the start of camp, you kind of have to have that. You have to, know what you're doing with that position i don't think that's something that can unfold over the next four weeks because really it's only like two weeks and then you're just game planning for notre dame for the most part and Mm -hmm. some of that has already even started so i think i want to see what it means what that position means to this defense on day one i didn't have jack stuff on my list just because i don't think we're gonna you're right i don't know if we're gonna get that much in depth with it and i think the thing i have if I was thinking about it from a defensive line standpoint, I don't know if that can get answered in fall camp for me. Cause it's more about production than the who's at this point. I think we have an understanding of like who the Jacks might be Jack Sawyer. It would have been Mitchell Melton. If he was healthy, maybe Caden Curry gets into that mix. Maybe Zach Harrison gets into that mix, but we kind of know the names already with that position. We kind of know the names of the defensive line at this point, even if we don't know that, even if we're you know having a pod about who takes the first snap, you know, we'll see who actually ends up playing the most snaps game in, game out. But the things I want answered with the defensive line, 
they can't get answered until the Notre Dame game and then Arkansas State game and on for it from that point. And so I almost like forgot about defensive line for fall camp. It's almost like the last thing on my radar, unless I see something like what I saw when I was in Corey Dennis's session at the uh, coaches clinic where they showed that clip and it was like Jack Sawyer lined up in a three tech, but he was standing. That would be like, oh, that's interesting. Let's talk about that. But outside of that right. type of stuff, it's just it's the Jack. Let's see if they use it or not. Because we've been down this road of them building up a position that they never actually used, a.k.a. the bullet. That's true, although in that case, it was something they were adding in to an already sort of established defensive idea, whereas Knowles is bringing that in as part of his established idea. So very intrigued by what that looks like. I still have scheme questions about Knowles because they were just pretty vanilla for the spring game. Mm -hmm. What's uh, next on your list? What linebackers' names do I do I hear Quintiple yell out? If we get to see any level of competitiveness at any practice we get to go to, we're never really sure how many we get. Sometimes we get two or three. Sometimes we get one. Maybe we'll just get one full one when also Big Ten, the Big Ten is there for their stuff. But I want to hear linebacker names. I want to hear C.J. Hicks's name. I want to hear Steel Chambers' name, Tommy Eichenberg, Cody Simon, because that does mean something because we saw it with the secondary. We kept hearing Denzel Burke's name. And then even if we were caught off guard that he started on the first game of the season, thinking back on it's not that crazy that he was their best corner. <laughs> I mean, you heard his name over and over again. There were times in the spring where you'd hear Jordan Hancock's name. And so now we're talking about him like maybe he's the Ohio State's second best corner, especially if Cam Brown can't stay healthy. I want to see that linebacker. So I, I, I preface it that way for a reason. I want to know whose names I'm going to hear every time we get to go to practice that linebacker when they're doing something competitive. Yeah, I was the one who marked down Cody Simon as the starting linebacker on opening day. So he's just a guy. I didn't write that down. It wasn't one of my three, but definitely somebody I'm keeping an eye on. And how healthy is he to start preseason camp? And uh, if is there any ground he has to make up there? Because he clearly, they he was, in the coaching staff's opinion, the better of the two linebackers last year. So what decision are they making for this, pre- for this season opener? And what factors are playing into that? Because not only is he coming off the injury, but then you also have a new defense here. And maybe for some reason they feel like Eichenberg would fit better into the dynamic that they're building on that defense. I don't know, but that's definitely one thing we'll be looking for. We're going to take another quick break. We are going to come back and finish off our list of the three things we're looking at for the first day of preseason camp here on Buckeye Talk. Wrapping up our list of the three things we were looking at in preseason camp, uh, first day, I hope we get a look at the offensive line. We know what the first string yes. offensive line is going to be. It is like Mount Rushmore in granite. Mm-hmm. I want to see the second string offensive line and, and more to the point, like are the right guys making moves and are, does it make sense to us when we look at the second string offensive line? Does it look like, Oh, so-and-so, I mean, I guess, you know, we know Enoch Vamahi would be up there. We know Josh Fire will be up there. We think like Jacob James might be the guy who is at center, but we'll, we'll see who else is in the mix. Are there guys who are like, you know, barely sub 100 prospects? I'm thinking like Ben Chrisman. Does he start to make a move? Are you seeing guys who need to be the developmental guys that hit start to hit? Because Ohio State for 2023 has put a lot of stock in developing guys who weren't necessarily the best recruits in the country, but could still be very solid players. They just don't haven't given themselves a lot of room for error there. Yes. To everything you just said. Yes. It's almost like 
if we come out of practice on Thursday and if we get an opportunity, because we're, we're going to get a chance to see it just because of how offensive line drills work sometimes. If we leave Thursday without the five-man unit for the second-string offensive line, we didn't do our jobs if we were watching the offense that day. Because I think that is the – it's basically the only interesting thing about the offense other than, like, if we get a 11-11, who's the Z receiver, Julian Fleming or Emeka Ibuka, everything else we know. So it's almost priority number one, number two, and number three to find out who the second string offensive line is. And then everything else you find out is just like, oh, here's a cool little tidbit because this guy did this or this guy did that. Wrap up your list for us. So I had how do the quarterback reps kind of look? And this is in a world where we maybe get a full practice one day, especially with the second string. Like, because I remember in, when we got a full practice in the spring, Devin Brown got sprinkled in there a little bit with the twos. It wasn't just the Kyle McCord show with the twos while CJ struggled all the ones. No, they, they rolled a little bit with the twos at times. Are they still doing that? Or because now they're in prepare for a season mode, do they just give Kyle McCord all the two reps? How do the twos look? Really, in, on offense, like, who are the second-string guys? We know Mecca Book is going to be a two somewhere if he's not a starter, or Julian Fleming will be the second-string Z. Who are the t- wide receivers lining up with him? How do the rep distributions go with guys like Mayan Williams and Evan Pryor? So I, I know I just did a lot there, but it's just more on the offensive side, what do the twos look like everywhere else? So the robots are forcing us to finish this podcast. I'm not they sure are. what happened with our uh, recording format. I, I I see where you're coming from there, and I still think I mean, Common Court is the backup quarterback for this yeah. team, but it's still an interesting thing to keep an eye on as 2023 approaches, because mm-hmm. maybe there is a full competition for 2023. I'm sure they'll play it up as one. Um, I'm I'm I am intrigued by what jumps McCord might make from true freshman mm-hmm. to sophomore year. And I don't know, again, we don't know how much we'll get to actually see guys really let it loose and, and do offensive, do things beyond just, you know, throw some some routes. But he, over the course of camp, is someone I'm really intrigued by. And I'm going to wrap things up. I'm going to stay on offense. So I put Julian Fleming makes a play. That's not completely fair because, again, we don't know how much playmaking opportunity we'll actually get to see. But it's going to be sort of a theme throughout camp for me. I feel like it's just a big preseason camp for him to like really separate and and with authority claim one of these that third receiver spot. It, it was really funny at Big Ten Media Days that Jackson Smith and Jigba and any question he got, so it was more the questions than him, but he didn't refute it. It was very much a there was already sort of the tandem building a little bit between Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison Jr. and like they're the new. Like JSN MHJ, like that's the new Olave Wilson a little bit. And then this third position that hasn't been decided or maybe isn't completely locked down as far as who the starter is going to be is sort of just wiggling out there. And I think it's there for Julian Fleming to just take it and say, hey, you guys forgot about me a little bit. I can do this. I'm here. I'm healthy. Let's go. And again, we didn't get to see him in full go at the end of the spring. So that has changed a little bit. How the confidence we can have for him for this fall. And it's, it's too much to ask him to, to, to put it, put the spotlight on him. He's going to have to do it like every day and is wow us every time we're out there. But I think he needs to, to wow at some point. I think there needs to be some separation because it's not like they're saying that there's a chasm below him. Mecca Buka has got talent. There's other guys in that room that have talent. There's always going to be more talent behind and it just seems like an opportunity here for Julian Fleming, but there's also some urgency. 
we don't know what awesome Julian Fleming looks like or have an idea of it. I think with the other three guys, even if it's small samples with Marvin and Emeka, you have an idea of what it is if they go off for a lack of a better way of putting it. We don't know what that looks like. So I, I agree with that. The idea of like at some point this fall camp, Julian Fleming does something where we leave and like, ooh, okay. That's what it looks like. That It's fine to ask for a five-star guy who was the number three guy in his class and the top wide receiver to have a moment where he shows us why he was that. And Ohio State says it does know what awesome Julian Fleming looks yes. like. Brian Hartline insists that he does. Other players say that they do. has said it emphatically. Yeah. They're, they're, but there's a lot of receivers in that room being talked up, too. They all yep. say Cam Babb's been awesome at times. They all have a lot of good things to say about Jaden Ballard. They all have good things to say about Emeka Buka, which is kind of my point. That at some point, there's going to all these guys that they're talking about, like, boy, you guys just don't know. You haven't seen. Well, one of them we will eventually see. I just don't know who it's Mm going to be yet. But I still think I might vote for Fleming to figure that out. If he's healthy, I I think it's it's there for him to take. That's going to wrap up this episode of Buckeye Talk. We will be coming back a lot more later this week when we actually get to see preseason camp. And as Ohio State gets things rolling uh, in preparation for that season opener against Notre Dame. For Stephen Means, I'm Nathan Baird. That was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.